Welcome to episode 54 of Reading Between the Reels. I'm Craig Dickinson. Thank you so much for joining us today. If you're a new listener, we're so glad you found us. If you've been enjoying the show, please tell someone about us. Send a tweet, post a Facebook, write a review in your favorite podcast catcher, or just recommend the show to a friend. Today on the show, I'm joined once again by Corey Heitschmidt, and we're going to break down Black Panther, a film from 2018. Uh, as you guys know, Black Panther, um, Wakanda Forever is going to be out just shortly, so this is one of the big reasons we're going back to look at that film. So, Corey, why don't you uh, why don't you start us off? What are your what are your overall thoughts on Black Panther? I tell you, I think this Black Panther movie, I would rank this in a top tier of Marvel movies from their 10 years. Um, this is the origin story. Now, we've already had the character introduced, Winter Soldier. We've already had him introduced um, in some other spots. But in this, we go back and we discover more about him. So his origin story um, and his rise to his superhero status is taking place not from the origin, but from mid-level he's already here he's already he's already known as the the king of wakanda and and so i think it's this is the part that i look at and i think this movie was done really well and i think they spent marvel focused in on this movie to make this a true to the storyline to the plot to the effect of this i would i would rank this as iron man's movie and how it catapulted iron man to be such a favorite black panther is this is that that deep story, great writing, great acting, top tier actors in here, and and focus to set Black Panther as a, as a fan favorite. Nice, yeah. I I was kind of surprised. I remember the first time I saw it that it was set well, when it was set. Like it's basically a week after Civil War, where we've seen him introduced, and um, they're very you know they do that with some exposition at the beginning. Um, let him know that, that his dad had just passed away. And it is, I, I like that you brought that up. I'm sure we'll talk about that more that, you know, it's not a traditional hero's journey. There is a hero's journey, but it's not from his beginning. It, there's kind of a, a rebirth for him. You know, he's going to go through some, some different things Then the next level of a hero's journey. The thing that I'm struck by the lot this time as I'm watching um, is how great Chadwick Boseman, and we've always known he's great in it, but the fact that he was already dying of cancer while he's filming this film, is is amazing you can't now you can't watch it in my opinion without that in the back of your mind that this guy is like really giving it all you know for posterity that he that he he knows like this is a big thing that he's doing um, and making that choice even even when he's that sick and and even at that watching this again just to get ready for the show i you can't help but think that you can't help but think uh this was this was a year he was filming this a year after having that cancer diagnosis and and you can't help but look at what commitment and level of talent he brings and realize the hole that he left. And I, and I think that's why Wakanda Forever, um, I'm, I'm really anticipating that story uh, acknowledging him as such a big vacant hole. And even though we'll have a new Black Panther, but acknowledging who he was as, uh, as a person and as a character in this movie. You you cannot just replace those shoes with what he did. Yeah, it's gonna be kind of cathartic, I think, for all of us. And in a lot of the ways that you know, I think of like in, like Princess Leia's death in in Rise of Skywalker, kind of mirroring you know Carrie Fisher's passing too. That we kind of it's kind of a way for all of us to say goodbye. Anyone who's a fan of Chadwick Boseman to kind of have that kind of public um, goodbye, as it were. Yes. Uh, so let's go ahead and talk about about cinematography. What did you have that you noticed for composition, color? Uh, camera work. There's a lot of great, interesting things in this film. I thought. So what, what do you the think? Color. The color is incredible. And when you when you look at all the the color that they brought into the costumes, the designs, um, just the the tribal aspect that they bring in, and it is absolutely just filled with color and pulled off in such an incredible way. The thing that I really think stands out is how much the camera is always on a swivel and it's either zooming in or zooming out from scenic views that are absolutely stunning just showing the beauty of where wakanda is and especially in the beginning as he's approaching wakanda for the first time and says i never get tired of this when they they bust through the little shield 
as they're passing through some herds running through the valley and the and the and then as they pull into Wakanda, the viewer has the ship come right over the top of them, and you're seeing the city Wakanda down below and just and then even to the the fight that they have uh, for the king, you know, with the waterfall and everything, absolutely stunning views of what they do. And so I think their cinematography and their costumes and the color, and then with the background music they bring into it, it is it is a complete movie. And uh, their storyboard for this must have just been incredible in detail. Yeah, I'm glad that you pulled in the the movement of the camera because I had a couple of things that were tied. <clears throat> excuse me, were tied to that too. Um, that did point out to me uh, that I noticed uh, Mbaku on his throne when they when they go to find. They're going to give him the flower. There's a great shot of him on his throne, and it's really wide. He's got a couple of guys, uh, two guards on his side, and he's kind of in the dark, and it just pulls in nice and slow. Gives you some time to kind of soak up that setting, which they also do a similar thing uh, where uh, after uh, after Killmonger burns, starts burning up all of the, all of the, the heart-shaped herb underground there, uh, in that little garden temple, it's a shot from behind of him, and then it's kind of pulling back. It's like the opposite effect, yes. and you get to see like all of the destruction that he that he's caused. And it's you know, both the shots are, are in the dark, but it's really interesting uh, how you get get to see more. Like it's very intentional. Like watch this. This is what's important. He's the guy that caused it, and then they kind of bring into Mbaku, and he becomes less intimidating once they once he gets up there, and then he kind of breaks the ice with a joke and stuff too. Yeah. That that whole scene with uh with him burning burning the the panther flowers and that was so painful because that, that scene is so frustrating for me just because just showing him just demolishing that and him standing in front of the fire and just burning down everything um which which it used to just frustrate me the first time that I watched that and it made me. It, it distracted me a little bit, but having watched it again, that part made so much more sense for the cinema wise, cinematography wise, because as he's burning everything down, you realize the level of even though he's now the new king, he has a disgust and he has a he's been you know left behind and, and watched the civilization advance and the things they could be doing and joining the world and. So watching it burn is is was a goal is something that he wanted to do and he was there's not going to be another king after me mentality and so burn it all down because this is this is not the spot where we're going to stay we're going out right. and and it was it was it makes more sense for who his character is uh, the more times the second time you watch this through nice uh, a couple other things I noticed uh, this time that I hadn't noticed before it was. Uh, after after the fight, you mentioned the fight on the waterfall and, and uh, T'Challa falls, which is a, some great camera work there too. When it's you know bird's eye view watching him fall, so you kind of sucked in with him. It's very personal for us too. We kind of go on that journey with him. Uh, is that the very next shot after that? It's a night shot of Wakanda, which is clearly symbolic, right? It's metaphorically dark, just as well as it's dark there, you know, in, in there. So like darkness has fallen upon Wakanda. Um, I also the color in this. You mentioned that earlier. I was struck by a couple of things this time that when we see Oakland at the beginning, it's kind of this sickly yellow, almost disgusting, rotten look to it, which is kind of how it's portrayed. You know, there's something wrong in, in Oakland versus what we see uh, in Wakanda, where it's like the natural colors uh, in there in the daylight. Uh, some other things, obviously, purple is a color that is usually associated with royalty and has been. And then you have, you know, the the afterlife when they, they go, well, the heart-shaped herb is obviously purple, too. Their power on, on the suit is purple. But even in the afterlife, and this is what I thought was interesting. The first time um, that uh, T'Challa takes the herb after being crowned king officially and when he fights you know, M'Baku, is that the afterlife is kind of this purple-blue hue, and there's all the other kings that are there. Uh, the second time when he does it, it's not that. Did you know? It's earth tones this yeah. time, which I thought was interesting, and I took that as as a way of, you know, he is coming back to the real world. The real world is not that shade. And so he belongs, you know, in life. He should not be there. And so that's kind of where he's uh, where he's meant to go. 
it's a really interesting choice that they re returned and it wasn't a different. I never noticed that before, but it was a different hue this time through. And and I got to believe these are the intentional choices that they do, um, because I think another thing to, th to look at is with Killmonger, uh, just to harken back to that scene where he's burning it all down. Did you notice as it pans back that there are two Panthers in that scene? And this whole movie, this whole story and origin here is two Panthers, is Killmonger and T'Challa, who are both mirror images of each other. T'Challa is mercy and we need to do things right and be right, and Killmonger's burning it down on opposite sides. One's on the right, one's on the left, and they're a mirror image. And the two Panthers, as he's burning everything, are complete mirror images of each other. When you look at it, they're both one stepping forward with its left foot, and the other one stepping forward with its right foot. So it's a mirror image. And I think that's an intentional choice of there's two Panthers that are going to fight this out in the end. And I think when they do those kinds of things and they put those little nuances in, it pulls the, the viewer in to see those without having to make it an extra line or to be so obvious sometimes because people are then looking in the movie and being a part of it. Yeah, that's a great catch. And I would just add to that, that uh, the kind of the mirror image thing is that when you have the second fight at the waterfall, it's shot very differently than the first fight. When we still have, you know, the, the bird's eye view looking down as the circle closes in, but we have the fight when it's shot uh, horizontally is much closer. A lot of quick cuts. You're seeing a lot of reaction shots from T'Challa and Killmonger, much more so than you saw uh, with T'Challa and M'Baku. Yeah. But my favorite thing they did cinematography-wise is after that fight, when Killmonger enters the throne room, the camera is upside down. Yes. And then it pivots, circles around, and it's—I mean, it's there's no other way to read that other than you know things are metaphorically upside down. They're not the way. That was such an intentional build-up. Absolutely brilliant. Yeah, I love that. And he reaches as he reaches the throne. I mean, he's walking toward the throne to take his place as the king, and that's when it turns over. And you're like, this is not normal. But what what a great arresting thing to do to get your audience's attention. It was, and it was disorienting. And the music that was going along with that—that that is absolutely something that is so intentional to pull you in. The world is upside down with what he's doing. Yeah, that, that was that was a lot of fun. I enjoyed that a lot. Do you have anything else for uh, cinematography before we move on? I do. And there's one scene with Killmonger that I think, and I always love to look at these types of movies and try and find something that, that the, I feel like the director made an intentional choice, whether it's the scene or setting something up to kind of build up who the character is. And it's one of the things that I noticed with Killmonger as he's walking into uh, Wakanda and he's, he's, He's walking away from the sunlight. The sunlight is behind him. So he is he has got his back on the light as he enters Wakanda. But then when he dies, T'Challa takes him out to the, to the edge there, and then he dies facing the sunlight. And when you think of the sunlight as part of the, the character, then you start to realize T'Challa was the light. I mean, this was the the king and the right and the morality that he was trying to bring to it. Killmonger's walking away from the light as he enters, and then he dies facing in the light, facing T'Challa. And so I think that's – it's kind of a way of just highlighting uh, just who that character was, that there's a darkness as he as he was entering, and then there's a light as he died. And even in his, his final moments, T'Challa's still looking and saying, I think we can save you, um, even though he refuses. But he – and he delivers a powerful line, but he, but it's the same point to say, uh, you know, the 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 Black Panther is the light, is the the hero of this story, and so I thought it was a very good, powerful moment. I think I notice little scenes like that, and I like those kinds of scenes because they pull me in as a viewer. And so I think you don't have just the character; sometimes you have the setting, the mood, everything that's brought in with what they use behind the character sometimes in small little nuances. Yeah, that, that's definitely not an accident. That's a great catch. I, I like that. I like that a lot. Uh, as for sound, uh, for this one, I have to say that uh, I love the soundtrack. I mean, Ludwig Gordonson is amazing. It's very different than a lot of the stuff that he's done. You know, he'd done um, 
he had done Creed prior to this, mm-hmm. uh, which is very heavily borrowing like from Bill Conti and the Rocky themes. This is this is very different. You know, he had, he had some collaborators for sure, but using things like uh, the talking drum, which he uses a lot in the tambin, and some classical African instruments, along with some classical strings and some, you know, some pop diegetic music mixed in too. It's a really interesting soundtrack. And I haven't sat down and just listened to just the soundtrack, but in the movie, just the way they bring in small things with the music was powerful. As they were, as the scenes are unfolding and your and the camera's pulling back or zooming in, uh, just small things setting the whole mood for it. And so I think I think it's the soundtrack is very well done throughout the movie, and and adds to that effect. Yeah, and and a special shout out to uh, uh, Claw, played by Andy Serkis, singing "What Is Love" by Hathaway. That that might be one of my favorite. Just it's so lame, and he's just like. You, I'm going to torture you back for grabbing me. Just, It's hilarious. There's some other great diegetic music in there, too. Uh, but The, uh, the Weeknd and Kendrick Lamar and, and Baba Mall has the Wakanda theme, which is great and just kind of spine-tingling. But I always just crack up when I see him singing What is Love. Andy Serkis is, like, can just do so many things. <laughs> he is so great in this movie, in his roles, everything. And uh, he commits. He commits to it. And he gives a great character, and and he does a great job. That what is love scene is just funny. He brings you in with a little bit of humor and makes you, you know, you know he's such a bad guy and such a terrible villain, but he pulls you in there and makes you laugh, and it's, it's pretty amazing. Yeah, apparently he's an inspiring musician. You know, he he talks about that in in Busan too. He's like, yeah, because you know. <laughs> Martin Freeman's character says, "Like, get a mixtape coming out." He's like, "Yeah, yeah, get him a mixtape. Let's let's do it." So, uh, yeah, he's he's got he's a he's a Renaissance man apparently. Yeah. Uh, as far as special effects go uh, on this one, I think my favorite one is is the uh, Kamoyo beads, the little trill sound that they make. It's just a cool sound, and I've always liked the the kind of the suit activating sound. There's you know, Marvel went into like that whole nanobot thing for a while. You know, the Iron Man suit was nanotech, and Spider Man's suit was nanotech. I think this is one of the cooler ones though, where it comes out of the necklace, and it's kind of almost like this electronic kind of chittering, almost like a bug. It's a very almost it's almost natural. It's a weird weird mix of those two things. It it is really good. I think. Uh... I think this is after this. This is when Iron Man has the nanotech, right? Yeah, yeah, that's right. That's not until Infinity War, which is comes out after this. Yeah, yeah. I think I think the the nanotech and and the beads, those are fantastic. I think um, the special effects. I think the CGI in this is incredible because you know, and it, it, it could be said that in some of the CGI things that Marvel has done just in the last couple of years have not been on par with this. They spent time and labor and man hours to make the special effects in this movie work really well. Yeah, the only thing I don't like CGI-wise is, like, the fight at the end. That feels a little a little hollow to me, a little bit like Neo and Agent Smith going at it in the last – I was going to say the last. I'm going to pretend the fourth one doesn't exist for a second. Uh, <laughs> in the Matrix, what is it, Revolutions? Is that what the last – that third one is? It does. It feels like <clears throat> a, very much that it's the second scene where he fights the 100, uh, 100 agents. Yeah, that, it feels a little bit like that to me. I thought it felt more like a, a video game cutscene. Oh yeah, I'll go with that too. Is is how it feels, and it's there's so much big stuff there. I don't know how they could pull that off. Um, but the two the two actors, I mean Michael B. Jordan and uh, that when they're just fighting in this scene, it is absolutely. I mean Chadwick Boseman, the amount of time that they spent in that fight must have just been amazing because that the way the suit comes on and off, I gotta believe they're really standing there. That the, the whole fight's not CGI. Sure. Just the scenery and everything behind it, but yeah, it's like the falling through the chasm thing. Yeah. Just feels a little, little, little silly. But you know, what do you like? You couldn't actually do that with stuntmen, clearly. No, they kind of throw physics out the window there. Yeah. Uh, there's some great vocal sounds in this one too. I, m- I mentioned the uh, the exposition to kind of go over uh, where this is set. 
right? I mean, they give you Oakland 1992, and then this, and they go, well, what times? Well, they tell you it's right after Civil War because they're he's watching the news about his dad. Uh, I've always liked the the exposition at the beginning too. I think that's just a great way to kind of set the mythology. You have Bast and the vibranium and all the origin of Wakanda, all of that happening. It's, I think it's done in a really efficient and interesting way. You know, the thing about the vocal sounds that I think is interesting after, because I was watching it with that, was to realize how many times uh, Chadwick Boseman, they show him, and there's literally a few seconds before he speaks. And it's a comment where you're waiting for him to say something. You're almost anticipating, like, oh, he's got to say something here. And you see his expression as he looks down, he looks away, he's pondering, he's thinking of all these moments before he speaks. He doesn't just... The camera cuts to him and he says his line. Camera cuts to him, he says his line. It's the camera cuts to him and you see this kingly mentality of weighing the options in my mind before I even speak. And so there's there's a lot of uh, moments where there's that type of thing where you see his acting beyond just his voice. He's looking, he's paying attention, He's his eyes are moving as he's considering what was said and what to do and it's very you see the weight of a king on him when you feel that yeah so are you are you ready to move down to performance because i think we, that's a natural bridge for that because yeah. i had a, a comment to kind of add to that is the last what you think is going to be the last line of the film before we get to the credits and then the mid credits and the post credits the kid asks him like who are you and he just sits you know he has that that pause and like he could like i'm black panther or something and but nothing would be as cool as him just like giving him a knowing look yeah right it's that yeah i'm gonna wait i don't have to be i'm not pithy and this is you know i've seen other uh videos of i think honest trailers might have done one and he's like he just won't quip because he's like the one marvel hero who doesn't really have anything that's snarky which is interesting which i which is i like a lot you know that's when we when we did Doctor Strange, that's one thing I, I I brought up is that I think that movie suffered from kind of having to be in the Marvel mold where he had to make little quips, and at the time it was kind of funny, but I don't know if it necessarily ages that well. Where I think this film will probably age a little bit better, other than like Mbaku's little joke about vegetarians and we're gonna eat you. That's like the one that I'm like, ah, right, that's kind of a groaner. I get why that's funny, but like that's not. It doesn't feel like that's what he would say in that moment. Oh, but I love that line. I thought that line was incredible. <laughs> I I was I was laughing. I, I mean, that was a laugh out loud moment. I you know I don't I don't take that lightly. The LOL. I really LOL. <laughs> and I, that's fine. It just, it's just great. His laugh afterwards about it, and it just was very snarky that I I embraced that part. That yeah. was great. So speaking of speaking of lines, I, I did want to point out the. That's interesting that a lot of this is is, uh, is spoken in, in Kosa, uh, which is a real language, which is cool. So we get some subtitles in like that, that African language, which is interesting and very immersive. It's a great way to kind of bring you in. But I don't know like what kind of line. I, I think this time I was like, which lines do I want to bring out? Because this is not really, I would think, a quotable movie other than saying Wakanda forever. I mean, that's like the thing that you hear the most and kind of sticks in your brain. But. Did you have any lines of dialogue that were like this time you were like, yeah, that's kind of cool. I, I really like that. It's in, you know, it's representative of character or funnier or any of those things. Yes. And the one the one that I really think of is the the two lines that stand out the most to me when uh, T'Challa has the second dream and he's arguing, he's talking to his, his dad and he says, we let the fear of our discovery stop of stop us from doing what's right. And when I look at the movie, the the Wakanda being tucked away and hidden away, and for them protecting, I mean, they're going after the, you know, they're they don't want any of their metal out there. They don't want to go vibranium getting out because then it leads back to them. So they're protecting the 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 isolation of Wakanda. And instead, he looks and realizes what that done created uh killmonger he even says he is a monster of our making and that dialogue i thought really helps to drive home the movie that the black panther has to bring wakanda in they can't be hidden away anymore they can't be tucked away they have to come and they have to join you know the avengers the infinity war the end game they have to join this fight and uh for what's right 
So I think it was, it stood out to me more than it did the first time. Yeah, I think um, there was a kind of a through line with with some a certain certain lines set throughout the film. It's like the, thematically, it feels like like these lines are what his hero's journey, what the theme of Black Panther is. And it starts with he, the first time he's in the fight uh, with Mbaku and his mom shouts, show them who you are. Because yeah. it really is his journey to figure out who he is and what kind of king he's going to be. And kind of following with that, you have the first time that he talks to his dad in the afterlife. His dad does a line where he says, you're a good man with a good heart, and it's hard for a good man to be king. Which we don't know that that's, you know, there's... Well, what we do, because we actually we've seen the beginning, we saw the, the, the prologue, but T'Challa doesn't know the depths of what that means. He does not know the compromises and the choices that his dad has made that he would not approve of. Yeah. Uh, there's another one, um, I believe it's his mom, that says, you can't let your father's mistakes define who you are. You get to decide what kind of king you're going to be. So throughout, it's, it's really, I mean, like we mentioned, like he's already a hero. He's already the king, but he also has to decide what kind of king he's going to be because this is kind of his first big trial that he has to go through. Yeah. We know he's he was raised in privilege, being royalty, you know, this is, but this is the first time where he's completely on his own. The death of the mentor has happened, right? So that part of his journey has happened. Now he's on the road of trials by himself. And this is the first, and he has to face his father's evil, as well well his father even says that he his father even says i embraced this i i took the lie to protect wakanda and in the moment when he made that choice and he made that decision he did what he had to and that which which is that kingly weight the king makes wrong decisions too and so which but t'challa has to rise up above it and realize that his kingdom's in threat being threatened and he has to remove warmonger from the or killmonger from the throne because of his father's mistakes so it, you're right that is a that is a powerful some powerful moments and just in dialogue and small lines that they slip in there um the one line i will say that that frustrates me sometimes is when t'challa rises back up from the plane and says i never yielded which is a beautiful line yeah i love that and i I just am not a fan of Michael B. Jordan saying, sup? Yeah. <laughs> I just, I just, yeah. just felt too wrong for that moment, you know, to, it, it just, it didn't feel like that fit the place, the dialogue, the the gravity of everything that's going on. You just found out the the guy that you were supposed to have killed to take the throne is standing right in front of you and saying, I never yielded. And we go, what's up? <laughs> so, yeah. He's like he's trying to minimize it, right? Yeah. I mean, he should be like, "Oh, I'm I'm in big trouble," yeah, right? He's he, trying he's fronting. That the yeah, to point he, he throws out the line and says, uh, no, "Apologies for saying fronting." Yeah, yeah. And I had that line too because I like the end of it. And this is the closest that T'Challa gets to Quippy. Like, and as you can see, I'm not dead. Yes. Like that's a good that's a great moment. And like, yeah, that's the the what's up that kind of sours a little bit. Yeah, Again, I apologize for saying front. That was that was wrong. I'm so sorry. <laughs> no, it, just, it just was. It just feels like that didn't fit that moment, and it it didn't fit the just the gravity of everything that was about to happen. The battle that is now yeah. going to rage. Yeah. So I, here's my hot take. That uh, Chadwick Boseman is so great in this movie that Michael B. Jordan does not hold a candle to his performance. Like, I like Michael B. Jordan as an actor, but the level of gravitas that Bozeman has is not equaled by Michael B. Jordan. I have not, I do not see them as equals because it's, it's good. I was like, Bozeman's just that much better. I, I actually like uh, Sterling K. Brown, who plays um, his dad, who, who plays the uncle. I'm trying to see if I can remember the name uh, off the top of my head. Uh, Njobu. His, the level of gravitas that he presents, I think, is is much more formidable. I, and again, I like Michael B. Jordan, but I'm also he's kind of, I don't know, it, it just doesn't ring as true as it does for Bozeman. Maybe that's just a personal thing, but I've always thought like, oh yeah, that's, there's a level there, and then there's a step down, and that's where Michael B. Jordan's at. I I absolutely agree with you. I think Michael B. Jordan in this movie is you you put Michael B. Jordan in Creed. 
I even thought he was great in Fantastic Four. I liked him in Fantastic Four. Um, but in this one, it is Chadwick Boseman. It is the top level actor of this movie. Michael B. Jordan is does great, but I feel like uh, Chadwick Boseman is is everything in. And some of that is like I said, he's not just speaking. You see the weight of the king on his shoulders and his emotions, and even him yelling at his father in the dream, the second, the second one. Um, and so I I feel like Chadwick Boseman is at this level of absolutely the number one of this movie but you you cannot take away michael b jordan's abilities he is a phenomenal actor and creed there is no better creed character um for him i mean he the level that he's commitment that what he's done with that that franchise um absolutely i'd watch i'd watch him in any any of any rocky movie of creed movie just he's that good yeah. And I'm going to be super clear. I, I, I don't want to disparage Michael B. Jordan because I do. I love Creed 2 and, 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 and Creed and Creed 1 and Creed 2. Um, and when Creed 3 comes out next year, we'll we'll do we've got to do Creed because that's a that's a great flick. And I, I love Michael B. Jordan as an actor. I'm just I, I it's hard. To, it's hard to do this properly. It's, my Chadwick Boseman, just he's just a level above. That's all I'm saying. Yeah, he really is. He Chadwick Boseman, and that's that's the loss that that I think we feel in this is you you look at this and you just think, oh man, you know he. It is so tragic, you know, that he yeah he's died, but he is such a huge hole for this show because I think what he brought to this character was so incredible. Yeah. Uh, body language, facial expressions. Do you have anything in that category? I had. I mean, you have to put the Wakandan salute. I mean, that's kind of the the big thing. Other than, you know, that and Wakanda forever. Like, the two big things you're going to walk away from with this movie. Um, we did mention, you know, that when he comes up and says, you know, never yielded. And as you can see, I'm not dead. He's, he's walking toward him. I love that scene because of the way he's presenting himself with his arms open wide. Like, he's got nothing to hide. No fear. Just come and get some. Yes. Uh, some of the body language is great is with um... – and and I've got I've got two scenes in my mind. The one is when they're driving and he's they're trying to get uh, Claw, and they're in the downtown and they're driving and I can't even remember which of the the royal guard girls is driving, and Akoi is in the passenger seat and she gets out of the car and uses her spear and just yeah. sticks it in the top of the roof and this is beautiful car, and the girl that's driving. Nakia gives, gives a look over like, oh, he just, you know, yeah. because this whole movie, Wakanda is so beautiful and everything is so beautiful and, and traditional looking. And so, you know, you value that look and taking care and everything. And so when she stabbed the spear into the roof, it was almost an insult of of tarnishing it, the car, you know, because it was so beautiful. Anyway, yeah. so that stood out to me that that's <laughs> that small body language and then the interrogation scene. Where Akwe and uh, T'Challa are talking, and um, it's where Martin Freeman, Everett Ross, is making a comment to her, and then he, right as he's about to walk in, and they just have a little duh, and go back and forth about him and how he's yeah. talking, and and uh, Chadwick tells her, uh, you know, to kind of calm down, and she goes, oh, Americans, you know, it yeah. was such a great scene of just. You know, if we go in there, we can get what we need to just, you know, but we're playing the part of, oh, we're just, you know, trying to blend in right here. So it was it was such a great little thing. And that the body language, the facial expressions, you can't just mimic that. You can't just tell someone, hey, this is what I want you to do. I want you to look at basically the Black Panther King and go. Dah! You know, yeah. <laughs> give him a hard time. Yeah. Yeah. She's great. She's great in that. Uh, the actress, uh, Danai Guerra. I don't know if I'm saying that. She's from Walking Dead, so y'all know you're a fan of Walking Dead. You, you've yeah. seen her and many other things. Um, yeah, she's great in that. Um, she, the, the whole, um, the Dora Milaje are fantastic in this. All of them are very stoic, um, very intimidating, but without being like, it feels it feels natural to me. Like, I got doesn't feel like they're not superhuman. They're not invulnerable. We see them die, for instance, in the last battle with Killmonger. But I love their uniforms. And for some reason, I never noticed before that Akoya has the gold 
up at the top, and the rest of them have silver, which makes sense because she's the ranking officer there. Never noticed that. Yeah. Uh, but the costumes are amazing for this film. I mean, you've got all the different tribes have very different things. You've got you know, the border tribe has has blue with kind of a wood. Uh, the river tribe is um, green with like shells and different things like that. Of course, you got you know, uh, the purple of the Black Panther suit and Dora Milaje, as I mentioned, just so many different, very distinct. It feel it goes to world building, right? That all these places fe- they feel real. I mean, they've been established for a really long time. Yeah, I think they they definitely put some intentionality in all that to make it make it stand out like that. Um, I think some of the facial expressions and the between Wakabi and Akoi in the final battle, because he says, "Would you kill me, my love?" and she says, "For Wakanda, yes." Yeah. And he, uh, Daniel Kaluuya. He does such an incredible job because I kind of see the conflict in him throughout the whole thing when he – I can't tell because he wants – like with Killmonger, he sides with Killmonger in that final battle and not with T'Challa. But then he yields when she says, yeah, I'll kill you for Wakanda. And I think it's just powerful. Like in his his facial expressions in there always catch me, always have me looking at him. Because I feel like there's a struggle in his face when they're sitting there and they're talking and arguing when uh, Michael B. Jordan first comes in and into uh, Wakanda and they're arguing and he tells them who he is. I mean, you can see he's the one who says he knows who uh, Killmonger is. And so anyway, so it just the way he does some great facial expressions and makes makes you really pull in that that. This man is is close to the throne, and he has some strong opinions and thoughts too. And and even in the final battle, and then finally yields because she says that you know his his love would would kill him for Wakanda if she had to. So. Yeah, the cast the cast is top notch in this film. I, yeah. I think across the board they're they're all great, and we'll talk more about characters in just a second. But uh, I also wanted to mention uh, the the necklaces, the difference in the necklaces. I think is interesting. I spent some time early when he gets the first. You know, he gets to pick in, in Shuri's lab and he gets the kind of subtle silver necklace, kind of kind of low key. And then you see at the end that Killmonger has chosen this really ostentatious gold one we saw earlier. And like it's super dramatic. It is not subtle at all. And that you speak to their characters, of course. Yeah. Uh, anything else for performance before we talk about setting and design? Uh, you know, I think if one more thing for performance, I think, is uh, T'Challa's sister, who, the little sister. Some of the, the beginning, you know, she's she's very playful with him, and they have such a – you can't – the relationship shows in there. Like when he first lands in Wakanda, and uh, Okoye actually dismisses the rest of the guard, and they go off, and then – there's a little bit of razzing him. They're they're giving him a hard time about him freezing uh, when they were in the jungle, and then yeah. the sister even <laughs> flips him off, which I thought, oh my goodness, this is kind of a this is the king, and you just flipped him off mm-hmm. out in the open, you know, and uh, and so you know, there's just that little bit of sister and brother there, and then when he gets the suit and he kicks the suit and she's videotaping it. Yeah, he says immediately delete that recording. Um, and so you see a little bit of that performance of just them having this closeness as a brother and a sister would among the royalty. Um, and so I, th- I thought that always stood out. And I think she does a great job with that. Yeah, that's a good point, because like, they are royals, but they're not like stodgy, like very formal. They have a very common brother, sister, sibling. Like she's a typical little sister just trying to get his goat and. They have a very close bond for sure. Yes. And you, they're not related, but it sure feels like they are. They're not related? He says, what? No, I mean, like, in real oh. life. Actors. Oh, in real life. Yeah, in the movie they are. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, wait. <laughs> wait? Spoiler. I missed that. No, no. I'm, yeah. yeah. Uh, as far as setting design goes, uh, what's interesting about this, I think, is that this is filmed primarily on a soundstage, like a lot of Marvel things are. That's why we see the little peach at the end of all of the things. It's filmed in, a lot of it's filmed in Atlanta. Uh, on a soundstage at uh, EUE Screen Gem Studios, where most of that took place. Like the waterfall was built on a soundstage, uh, which is interesting. 
the really the only uh, live location footage that you're getting is in South Korea, which I, I mean, that's that's pretty amazing. That like it, you'd, it seemed like like we could film like that final battle on a field somewhere, right? Yeah. That that would be where they do it on location. But they did the car chase. There was like 150 cars and like 700 people in downtown Korea, South Korea, and in Busan, and that's where they filmed on location. That's the that's the place that was on location. Yeah. You know, and in the beginning of this, I even said where I loved how they pull back and you see some beautiful scenery, and and then you're telling me it was all CGI. Yeah, but I mean, it's it's beautiful. It works. It's absolutely beautiful work. Right, and it's like it reminds me a little bit of the, of the volume, like we seen like the Mandalorian, but it's done even. It's it's impressive. Yeah, it's very impressive. Yeah. Uh, you do have a little bit more too. I mean, like um, there's the sweet Auburn neighborhood in Atlanta, which doubles for Oakland. So that's also on location too. So that's not, um, not CGI. That's not in a, on a soundstage somewhere rather. Um, I thought it was also interesting uh, in my research. I found that Wakanda is a little bit based on the country of uh, Lesotho because it's fairly isolationist, kind of in the middle. Uh, it's surrounded in a, in a place where it's kind of blocked off. Um, so that's interesting. There's is some kind of there's a lot of things. Obviously, Wakanda is not a real country, but there's a lot of real world influences on that. It's kind of a mixture of a lot of different real life things. Uh, set decoration. Every time I see Shuri's lab, I think it looks like an Apple store a little bit. It kind of feels like that, too. It does. Lots of white. But it also has a lot of like African tribal art as an accent to kind of bring that into. So it's kind of an interesting mix. There's a lot of, and that's a lot of things they see in this film too, is there's a lot of very modern and a lot of very ancient and traditional kind of mixed together in a really natural way. Well, and it all fits, it fits together well. I mean, the, the costumes and what they're wearing and they're walking around. Um, I did have this thought this very last time watching this where when they're walking through and he's looking at his, his suits and, and she's saying, okay, kick this suit and that whole scene. Um, I did think, you know, you never see, nobody ever walks around in sweatpants and, and t-shirts, you know, and, and, <laughs> and so they're all in such formal gowns and formal gear all the time. And, and it's as the royalty would be, you know, and as, as you know, you for stuff like this, but I feel like sometimes if you're in a lab, you're going to have a more of a dress down than a formal, formal gown. But it does, and it does feel like an Apple store, like you said. It's got that very modern look and feel to it. That, but at the same time, with the traditional art and the traditional costumes. Yeah, and uh, as far as props go, I mean, we have to point out, we talked a little bit about the, the Kamoyu beads originally, uh, which is interesting that they basically do anything the plot needs them to do. So, I mean, there I have some minor gripes with this movie. They're kind of like the magic beads that do whatever. Yeah. They're not really explained. It's it's kind of, yeah, we have a beat for that. We can do spinal surgery or it's an EMP or we can remotely control a car or whatever you need. Okay, now, see, now this brings up my, my one of my frustrations with this is those, the beads and, you know, the, the planes and some of this. And it reminds me of a story when, when I first watched Superman Returns. It came out and I was in the theater and it's the part where Superman returns, goes down into the ground, and he picks up the continent and carries it up into space. And as I'm sitting there, the guy next to me says, well, that's just too much. <laughs> and in my head, in that moment, I thought to myself, buddy, we're, we're watching a show, and you bought a ticket for a man who wears a cape and has a suit and can shoot lasers out his eyes and fly through the air. And this is the moment where my disbelief sets in. And, you know, this is the moment where, nope, this is too much. You've overpowered it. And so in his mind, he looked at that and said, this is a point where you tried to write yourself out into a story and you kind of overpowered it. And I feel like sometimes you see that in these movies where the fantasy and the fantastical elements, we write these beads that will do everything. Oh, I've got one that'll, I push this bead and I can control the car. I push this, I can control the plane. I push this and all of a sudden it's a cockpit right here for this plane that's remote controlled. And so sometimes we do get that. We write it in there and is there a point where it's too much? Is there a point where you, as a fan watching the movie go, well, that's just a little too far, a little too advanced or too easy? 
the you know the technology to fit inside of a small bead that way or um and so sometimes when i see that i agree with you it's like uh we kind of write our way in there but i at the same time when you're immersed in the story you embrace yeah. it you know? yeah it's kind of like this movie has more in common with like thor than it does with iron man it's more fantasy you know it's space rock that came down and does all these magical things as opposed to like hard science fiction where we're going to explain how these things would happen. So you kind of just have to go, all right, I'm just going to go. It's a magic space rock. Yeah. I'm good with that. Kind of like Eternium in Black Adam, which we'll get to. Same, yes. Very much the same kind of deal. Uh, I love Claw's arm cannon. Yes. That's just fun. Uh, and we'll talk about, I want to talk about Claw in just a minute, but we'll get to characters. The, uh, the thing I always forget is about the Royal Signet Rings. And why that's so important. It's a very small prop, but super important, right? Because that's Killmonger brings that up. And he's like, this is my right uh, to the throne. Like, I, I am royalty. I am one of the family because I have this tiny little ring. And that's a huge moment for T'Challa to see. Oh, yeah, he's, he's telling the truth. Well, because that's his father's ring, right? Yep. And Jobu's ring. Yes. Yep. Yeah, I think, and and they they do a great job of pulling you in to notice it when he comes in and rescues Claw from the interrogation as he's jumping into the car, into the getaway vehicle, and he shoots T'Challa with the cannon, the little grenade launcher, and knocks him down. Um, which I didn't like that part because I thought the suit should have absorbed that, right? <laughs> it should have released that <laughs> energy back. But for the moment, he hits the ground. And as he looks, he looks right at his neck and sees the ring. And that's what starts him coming back. And, and he notices that he saw that ring. Yeah. Because he said, this man had the same ring that I do. So it was very powerful. And, it's, and they, they do a good job of bringing it in, but introducing it over here. So you knew about it before he brought it up. Yeah. That's a great use of prop, I think. It's yeah. really like that's a, as opposed to kind of the, magic beads that can do everything which we talked about but this feels like it's a small but very significant thing that would solve a lot of problems well how do you know this guy's actually a legit contender for the throne well because he has this so as far as characters go when I mean, we talked about most of them we mentioned briefly nikia played by lupita nyango who's great you mentioned her expressions in the in the car when akoya sticks that spear in there and then magically doesn't get shot by the people i don't know why they didn't shoot at her that's weird they keep shooting at the car uh, but she's fantastic as always martin freeman is fun i love that you get martin freeman and uh andy circus in a scene together so you get you know bilbo and Gollum in a scene together that's fun yeah. which which is just great you know they you can't put those kinds of relationships together that you just you can't help but think that when they're filming this they're just having a great time they're talking they're reminiscing um even even uh martin freeman and tony star uh robert downey jr you know just being together just legends together so yeah uh some things i did i found in my research that i thought were fascinating i mean I've, again it sounds like i ripped on michael b jordan but he's really good in this movie he's just not chavik bozeman good but one thing I love that he did was he uh, he was added to the cast late and then he pretty much kept to himself and kept away from people, didn't socialize with people during the movie, which makes a lot of sense because he's very isolated from everybody else. And so I think, you know, a little bit of method acting that's going there. Uh, but one thing I thought was really cool and that, I, that I pulled out this time was that when he has his ancestral plane vision, that he is a child in that vision. Because he's so stuck in that moment. Like, he is, in a lot of ways, he's kind of acting out. That's a good point. He is a child in that. And he switches, when he starts crying, he switches to an adult. Mm -hmm. And even his even his father is crying in that scene. Because he's he makes a comment about no tears for me. And he says, everybody dies. And it was, I feel like his father at that moment sees the weight of what he's done, where he's been. Yeah. It was, that, was, that was an interesting, interesting, uh, intentional, intentional scene. And they don't tell us like how the, there's not physics or whatever of the afterlife works, but I always assume that that's kind of like the, 
to go back to the matrix, the, the residual self-image, right? That's how he sees himself in a lot of ways. He's that he feels still feels like he's that kid because he still talks about it repeatedly throughout the, you know, uh, throughout his journey back to Wakanda. Great. A great idea. Oh. Uh, we men- mentioned Martin Freeman multiple times. Doing an American accent in this. Pretty good. Pretty good American accent for a British guy. That's fun. My uh, wife watched this with me last night, and she said yeah. the same thing. She goes, he has an Ameri- a pretty good American accent. <laughs> yeah, not bad. Uh, let's see. We mentioned uh, Letitia Wright as Shuri. Yeah, she's great. Uh, Angela Bassett has a very small role, but, but uh, as T'Challa's mom, Ramonda, is good. Forrest Whitaker. I always forget Forrest Whitaker is in this movie. Oh, I think he was great. He is, and he's you know he's got the purple robes too, which is very like he's kind of the you know the right hand man of the king. So he's got a kind of got that um, royalty, but also you know Bast and the vibranium infused heart shaped herb are purple too. So he's kind of the high priest of that, and so it makes sense that he would have uh, that same coloring. Well, but here's it my- was it was painful ahead. when he died when yeah. Killmonger kills him because I you know I just. He you you looked at his character and who he was and he as he was down there fighting and he protects you know and saves T'Challa from from getting killed um and you and he explains all the things you just can't uh, when he was there with his father when he got killed and and anyway it just it his Morgan or Forrest Whitaker's uh for his whole thing is absolutely incredible his character I loved it. So I'm going to get to another gripe. Why did they kill Claw? Why could Killmonger not have just captured him and brought him up and dropped him off as a prisoner? Because I can't think for the life of me what he gains from killing him versus dropping him off as a prisoner. Because he's neutralized. They wanted, like, T'Challa didn't want to kill him. Yeah. He's still showing power over him either way. So what do you think it about that? It was an anticlimactic death. He just gets shot right there, you know. Um, the only thing that I think makes sense there is the notion that Killmonger kills the girl that Claw takes hostage, and then when one of the female guards at the end, Killmonger takes hostage, he kills her too. And just that his notion of accomplices and people are he can just throw them away. And so, it, but but I, I agree. Claw Claw's death is kind of an anticlimactic end to it. Well, I think you just fixed it for me there, because it like it feels like a natural. Now that you've explained it that way, it feels like a natural character moment that Killmonger would not care about Claw. It doesn't do him any good to not kill him. He's already served whatever purposes that Killmonger needs. And his body's the ticket into Wakanda. Exactly. He brings when he's walking away from the sun and heading to Wakanda, he brings the body as a ticket. Yeah, I was just sad to see Andy Circus die, and then you know, it's whenever you have a, a great villain like that, it's kind of oh, we won't get to see him again. That's kind of sad. But I, I think you, I think you explained it well. That like for Killmonger's character, for him to have let him live doesn't make sense at that point. Okay, I'll, I'll go with that. Uh, another thing that I always think is cool is that you have, um, I hope I don't mispronounce his name, but John Connie, I think is how you say his name. He plays T'Chaka, and then his uh, his son, Atandwa, plays the younger version of King T'Chaka in the flashback scenes. So there's a reason that T'Challa's dad, when he's younger, looks a lot like T'Challa's dad when he's older, because they're father and son. So that's kind of cool. Did not know that. Yeah. And then, of course, we have Sebastian Stan shows up as Bucky Barnes at the end really briefly to kind of tie everything together um hero's journey we've kind of talked about that all the way through you have anything that you wanted to add to that or have we covered it not to hero's journey i think i other than to say like you said before this is this is kind of a rebirth of the hero journey and that's one of the things i think that makes this so effective we're getting an origin story midway through He's already there. He's already been established. And so we're still getting another rebirth origin story to make him even stronger of a character than just bringing in the Black Panther into the Avengers movies and moving forward. 
Yeah, I'd go with that. It reminds me a bit of uh, Aquaman in that way, where you have to do, uh, you've introduced the character in a team-up movie, and now you get his, kind of his origin story, where he actually becomes who he's supposed to be. It's kind of a similar similar track, and I mean, not to say that this is the same, but in some ways it reminds me of that. Like, it's, that's a good way to go, where, like, we've introduced the character, now we're going to do the, you know, because typically Marvel is solo movie, then team-up, and so on, but this way I think that kind of retrofitting works here. Well, and I feel like movies are starting to do this more because we're we we know the story, we know the origin, you know. We we I think the Spider-Man movies is kind of a symbol of that. Where the new Spider-Man with Tom Holland, we didn't have to see Uncle Ben die again. We didn't have to see. I mean, we saw Aunt May die in the movie, but <laughs> we didn't have to go back and reestablish how Peter Parker gets his powers and move. We we all just said we embrace who he is as a character. Let's get him in the story and go. And and I think sometimes. Every single iteration of a character does not have to have an origin again. And it's one of the reasons I think movies like Fantastic Four may have struggled is because we go back and we have to redo a whole different Fantastic Four origin story. And so I think this is – if you're going to do an origin story, it has to be something that's going to really elevate that character. You know, we don't have to go back and have a reboot every time we have a new character coming in. So – we can embrace that there's a history and there's a, a story that got them there and then move forward. Yeah, and that reminds me of the way they did the Incredible Hulk intro, which I think is still one of the greatest ways to, to have done like a soft reboot with it, where you just have it all in the opening credits and then we're in. We're in. We don't need, yeah, that's it. Like you can you can do that whole story in three to five minutes if you need yeah. to. Like, and I, I'm wondering, you mentioned Fantastic Four multiple times, how they'll be incorporated in the MCU. Because you could do a similar thing to that, where you could just have... Because you don't want to do the whole drawn out, they're going into space, and they get hit with the radiation. You don't need to do that. But you could do something similar uh, in, like, an opening credit sequence really quickly. Yes. For instance. Uh, speaking of that, world building, uh, this obviously fits squarely in the world of the MCU, where we have characters we've seen before. Uh, but it's fairly self-contained, I think. I I have one frustration that I share, and it's interesting you brought up Aquaman because I bring I believe I rank DC's Aquaman and Marvel's Black Panther in this world-building um, element together. Is they are two worlds that are so far advanced they could absolutely affect the entire planet and change things but they're hidden away they're tucked away and we have no inkling of them being there we have how do that like they're so far hidden and removed from everything that nobody knows about them and then uh and then the whole point of their movie aquaman and black panther is that okay now we have the world has to know about us now when we come forward and so you have this technology that's so far advanced you know the beads and and everything and and uh, to where martin freeman gets healed from a bullet wound in a day and says oh bullets don't heal overnight and she says here they do and so it's like my goodness the think of the the world is a terrible place outside that fantastic world that these that these movies are set in and if you brought that technology not the weapons but the technology you could help elevate the world to that. And that, and I think that's what Black Panther does at the end. That's the point of the movie is to say, can't let our fear of being discovered stop us from doing what's right. We need to join the world and help elevate the world. But it's some of my frustration that how does this world exist that we would have no inkling, no, no knowledge of that they're there. And so sometimes that world building is a little too fantastical for me. It's the Superman Returns guy. Like, oh, well, that's just too much. You know, this giant, an Aquaman, the giant uh, kaiju basically just comes out of the ground and there's no, nobody would know. We wouldn't have a sub that would go, hey, we got some kind of a disturbance going on over here in this area. Maybe it's Atlantis. No, nobody would know. Or Wakanda's having this huge battle and these ships that are could fly in Guardians of the Galaxy level technology and we have no knowledge of. And sometimes it's too much for me. Yeah, but I, I I I realize nope. I bought the ticket. I'm in story, and I have yeah. to embrace what the writer's given me. 
Yeah, it's it's that tricky thing. Whenever you're part of a shared universe, it's like, wouldn't the rest of the world know about this, right? And you kind of just have to go, well, it's connected unless I don't need it to be. Unless it hurts the story, then it doesn't matter. Right. So just, you know, enjoy your two hours and your popcorn and you'll be good. But the but the Wakanda world is absolutely incredible. Like you said, about all the different tribes and and even when they go up to the mountain tribe and the the level of detail that they put in the buildings and the and I even I even think um Umbaku's throne room with the the sticks and everything, the world yep. building that they put around there is absolutely incredible. This long bridge across this valley. It's it's absolutely great. They do build a tremendous world for you in here that's hidden in this this spot. Absolutely. Uh, so final thoughts. Uh, final thoughts on Black Panther. I'm going to let you go first, Craig. Okay. Um, I mentioned uh, Bilbo and Gollum get a scene together. That's fun. I had that down here. But the big question I always have when I watch this film is, does Killmonger have a point? You know, we've talked about we've talked about General Zod off air before, and we'll talk about it again, I'm sure. Uh, but you, your good villains, your interesting villains, are the heroes of their own story. And clearly, his methods are extreme, like just killing everybody, rising up and killing everybody is is not okay, and that's why T'Challa has to stop him. But the point about Wakanda being isolationist really is what I'm getting at. That they have the technology to probably cure cancer when those magic beads got to be able to do that right? right to solve world hunger to solve so many of the world's problems but they stay out of it you know there's a line of, i was going to mention earlier but now's a perfect time to mention it uh where uh let me see who is it the one that says it um his friend from the border tribe what's his name uh wakabi wakabi says um, you let the refugees in, they bring their problems with them. And then Wakanda's like everywhere else. And that seems to have been, that's been the Wakanda policy is we just, you know, we stay here, we take care of our own because the rest of the world is going to basically, you know, kind of ruin us, kind of poison us. And that's why they have this utopia. And so it's interesting that you have a villain that says what you're doing is wrong. We need to fix this. But he's kind of gone off the rails in the way he wants to do it. That's really good. Uh, and then my last, the last thing I just wanted to say was just to rep, uh, to recognize the fact that this was uh, was nominated for several awards for best picture, best original song, best sound editing, best sound mixing. It won for best costume design, which we've talked about a lot, best original score, which we've also talked about a lot, and then production design. So well well deserved in all those. So for my final thought, I think of uh, I think of two things. When you look at the movie Black Panther, you have to look at the character Chadwick Boseman played. And the two things that I think of when I hear T'Challa is mercy and morality. When he his morality to tell his father and the elder kings before him, you were wrong. We have to fix this. And it's about we can't be we're so afraid of being discovered that we would base we would have a lie on the throne. And we would create a monster that would then come and try and tear everything down. And so his morality to say you were wrong and I have to fix it. So it's right. We have to do what's right. He says that so much. And so I feel like that speaks to the level. And then the other word is the mercy. Even as he's fighting in the second fight with Killmonger, there's a moment where he tells him to yield instead of just winning the battle. Mm -hmm. And then with Umbaku, he tells him to yield. Don't make me kill you. Like he he's so far removed from. I'm, you know, you're a threat to my throne, but I want you to yield. I don't want to kill you. Your people need you, is what he says to Mbaku. And so it's like that morality of doing what's right, but then also showing mercy. Because even after Killmonger kills him and basically takes the throne and everything Killmonger does, he still, he goes and has to fight him 
and he, as he stabs him, he carries him out to embrace that sunlight and says, maybe we can still save you, knowing they have that technology. And so I feel like those two words, morality and mercy, that you find in, in T'Challa, and I think that's what makes him such a strong king, is those two words. And then the other thing I think with this movie is uh, is Suri's line when, when T'Challa comes back to Wakanda for the first time and she says, how many times do I have to teach you just because something works does not mean it can't be improved. <laughs> and she's talking about the beads, uh, the magic beads. And uh, <laughs> but I think when you look at that and you realize, you know, this is why even Iron Man, Iron Man suits, you know, Iron Man, Mark one, Mark two, Mark three, like it goes up to 42, you know, it just keeps going on is just because something works doesn't mean it can't be improved. And that constant push, that constant drive to improve and to be better and even when T'Challa says, hey, they, they worked fine. You know, you don't have to fix it. And but no, 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 we need to improve it still. There's more to do. And so I think it kind of highlights that whole part where as as the movie ends and Wakanda is now going to come out to the world. It's like, you know, hey, we're working, but we can be improved and we can start to share and we can start to move out and and embrace things and help raise things and improve things. And so I think I think those those two things highlight it for me. And that is a perfect note to end on. So as we close, we just want to say thank you so much for listening. If you'd like to connect with us, you can find us on Twitter and Facebook. Email us at readingbetweenreels at gmail.com or use the SpeakPipe app on our website. If you enjoyed the show, please tell a friend. And one last thing, our next episode is going to be a review of the Lego Batman movie. Send us an email or voicemail about your favorite moments from the Lego Batman movie, and we'll share it on the next episode.